we have Psalm 119, 169 with the last stanza of Psalm 119. So open up your Bibles uh, there. <clears throat> I love this stanza. I think it's, it's really unique, not what you would expect after uh, 168 uh, verses of um, basically all praising the Lord and His Word and obviously the writer of Psalm 119. Uh, showing an extensive knowledge of God's Word, obviously would have been a, a man who knew the Lord, was walking with the Lord, and, and I love the very last verse that he ends with, because there's so much humility. So we'll read this, starting on 169. Let my cry of lamentation come near before you, O Yahweh. Give me understanding according to your Word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your Word. Let my lips pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my tongue answer with your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for salvation, O Yahweh, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live that it may praise you, and let your judgments help me. I have wandered off like a lost sheep. Search for your slave for I have not forgotten your commandments. Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, that we can read this. And Father, in this very last verse, we have a reminder that we will never arrive, a reminder that we are never going to be to the place where we are outside of complete dependence upon you, um, a reminder that we can wander off. And so we must stay tied uh, to your word that provides the light so that we would know the correct path to be on. Lord, as we walk through life, there will be all kinds of decisions, uh, temptations, uh, distractions that could get, off, get us off. Uh, Lord, as we've read through Psalm 119, uh, Father, give us a continual reminder of how much we need Your Word. Lord, help us to see it as it is, uh, full of truth, uh, deep beyond um, our ability and to be able to understand it and delve into it, and yet, uh, Lord, clear enough that would keep us coming back. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you just for everyone who's come here this morning, and we pray, Lord, that your word, uh, Lord, would prick our hearts, would encourage us, you know, Lord, would put us on the right path for not only this day, but for the week. Uh, Lord, fill us up so that we might share, uh, Lord, from the overflow of your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we are on um, page 55 of your booklet. It's going to be study three. Um, I actually uh, put it wrong on our group me for those of you who checked that. So we're on the peril of manufacturing growth. The peril of manufacturing growth. And so this section is all about a philosophy of ministry, and we want to go about uh, coming up with a correct biblical model and philosophy of doing ministry. Uh, this philosophy of ministry is going to keep us hopefully tied to the Bible and what it says is the correct philosophy of ministry and keep us away uh, from grabbing on to more worldly philosophies or man-centered philosophies uh, that are out there that can be appealing. And so that's what he's dealing with uh, this morning. It's just this idea that there is an appeal 
to a more manufacturing growth type model, or you might call it a CEO type model of doing ministry, of looking for leaders uh, that we certainly want to stay away from um, as we do ministry at all levels uh, here at Believers Fellowship. And it is important not only that uh, pastors, church leaders understand uh, these things, but also that congregations do, because at the end of the day, congregations are, are going to have some say, some influence as to who is leading them. And so if everyone is off in that direction, <clears throat> eventually, just as you saw Israel with Saul or whoever it was that they chose for a king, uh, they chose according to who they thought would lead them best. And so we want to make sure that we're tied to the Bible and our understanding of what true leadership is and what true success is within the church. So with that in mind, we go to our first point, which is why is manufacturing growth in the church so appealing? Why is this so appealing? Why do we seek to manufacture results? Um, a couple things that I thought of just off the bat. What would it be within a person that would cause them within the church to want to try to manufacture results instead of staying faithful to what God has called them to do regardless of the results? Um, and so a couple things I thought that could be going on uh, inwardly in that person. One would be just a, a fear of failure. And, and so they, they don't want to fail. And the metric is you got to have these numbers. you got to have people in the seats. And so, hey, I don't want to fail in this way. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get people in the seats. And there's all kinds of books you could read, leadership models you could read. You could go find the most successful church around the street and do what they do, and it may be a fear of failure that's driving that. Uh, I would say it also could be just a, a self-focus. You're, you're so worried about how everybody else perceives you and your ministry, and you've tied your ministry to the fact that you've got to have results. You've got to have people who are giving their life to the Lord, that are coming in, they are faithfully coming, all these kinds of things. And if that's it, then you may be tempted to cheat um, or to bypass what God has said you should be uh, doing uh, an insecurity in that leader and might cause him to, to do that as well. Those types of things, pride, lack of humility, you know, would perhaps make this appealing. Um, some of the things that he says here, you know, we like to be able to measure external results. We want to see that the work that we're putting in is actually having some results. And I, and I think the issue here is that's just not the way the Bible uh, calls us to evaluate ministry faithfulness. Um, we are called uh, to throw out the seed. Uh, God gives the growth. <clears throat> and so we have to always keep that uh, in mind. We do not measure results in the same way that you know, the world does. Um, Capitol Hill does. Uh, we measure it uh, very, very differently. It's, it's in measurements of faithfulness. He says also we attach significance to our spiritual influence. Uh, and so I think this could be created if you've got a leader, a church, and they're not finding their significance just in the simple, amazing fact that we are in Christ. Um, if you're not able to rest in that, then you may begin to look for it elsewhere. My significance as a man, um, as a leader, is tied up in how many people are here, 
all of these results, whatever it is, instead of just a simple fact that I'm in Christ, I have a calling to do, and I'm resting uh, in that. And, and maybe a question you can ask yourself is, and whatever the ministry the Lord may give you, um, I mean, in my case, it would be pastoring a church, and, and yours it may be different, but could you be satisfied with being in a small church and a small ministry with very little results? Would you still be significant in that case? And the answer would have to be yes, if you were being faithful. If you're faithful to the ministry, then that is by far enough. In fact, that guy may be more faithful uh, than the big church. And so it has nothing to do with big or small, whether anybody knows or not. The idea is that God knows, and that's what keeps us faithful uh, to that. And that's where you would see that really the main thing that would keep us from going this direction is just a fear of the Lord. You have an understanding of who God is. You have an understanding of, of His Word, your role as a, as a steward, and, and why would I ever try to skew that in any way? I'm just the waiter bringing what God has called me to bring to the people. Who am I to ever tamper with the message or, or the pathway to what He's called me to deliver? Uh, and so we can't attach our significance to spiritual influence. Uh, he says we want to assuage our guilt by saying, I'm doing something spiritual, uh, look and see. I'm not exactly sure, as I was trying to think about this, what, what does he mean by guilt? Um, there's probably all kinds of things that, that could be the case there. But I guess if you're not uh, being faithful to the Lord <clears throat> in whether it's this area of philosophy of ministry or maybe some other area, hey, here's some way to make it look like and feel okay. At the end of the day, say what you want about me, but people are here. Say what you want about me. I may have some flaws, but I'm getting results. And so you kind of assuage or you get people off that track to just simply say, hey, here's the results. And so you might say it's kind of a Donald Trump style of leadership. Hey, I got some flaws. I'm getting results. Uh, and so I think that's more what he's going for uh, there. He says it also doesn't require faith. And that would be true. <clears throat> that's why you could bring in a guy like, Andy Stanley, who's at this point not doing Christianity in any sense of the word, but he's got a big church. Um, he obviously has some leadership skills, uh, some political skills, right? <clears throat> that doesn't require any kind of faith. Uh, you can do that without faith. And, and this may be appealing even without going so far as the Andy Stanley type result. I mean, we may not be there. Uh, but perhaps we're not praying as we ought to as much. Um, when you're really relying on the Lord to bring the growth, there's faith, uh, there's prayer that has to undergird it. And so I, I think one reason that the Lord has ministry the way it is, where we're not going to be able to manufacture growth, we're not going to be able to cause people to believe, is it gets us on our knees. And He's the one that gets the glory. Uh, not us. In, in no way. Whatever happens here at Believer's Fellowship in any of our ministries, can we say, that's me? We can't say that. And at the end of the day, that gives God the glory, keeps us in the right place, uh, humble before Him. We can't claim that we have played a role in it. 
uh, through our innovative programs, whatever it is. Um, and so, hey, it's, it's not a situation where we're going to sell books, look what we've done, podcast or whatever. This is the Lord that has done it. In some sense, we should be able to say the opposite of, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Because all I did was what every other faithful pastor is doing. Every other faithful church leader is doing. I'm just doing this. Um, and so it ought to be a really simple answer when people come to us and they ask, hey, we've seen you guys are having some success or, or whatever. You just say, we're actually just doing the exact same thing we've always done. We're just preaching the Bible and seeking to, to stay according to that. There's no tricks of the trade, none of that. We're just staying faithful. Um, it is short-term success, which is typically not uh, hard work. Um, hard work is actual discipleship. Um, it's actual counseling. And I would say that's probably something that's going to be left off in this manufacturing growth CEO type of model. You're not worried so much about inward quality. How's this person doing dealing with the the, the muddy situations, the counseling situations, the day-to-day discipling kind of thing. That's, that's hard work. Um, that can be dirty a, a little bit. That's a true shepherd getting in with the sheep. Now, the CEO doesn't have that kind of understanding. He's, he's above it all. He may not even ever know about it all. Um, and so he's not getting into it in that way. Um, and then he just says, last, we want signs of spiritual life in those that we care about. And that might be more appealing to us, because that's certainly true. We do want to see growth um, in people. And I think we know this with our own kids at times. Like, we'd like to see more growth more quickly. Um, and we've got to be careful of not to manipulate that in, in any way. And understand we have a responsibility to bring the truth. Uh, we cannot manufacture things so that they believe it or... Uh, live the same convictions or whatever it is. Or we, we can't get them there faster than they're going to get there. Um, and so we bring the truth. We continue to love and to pray. At the end of the day, there has to be some understanding, even with our own kids, uh, that the Lord's going to have to do this. This is going to have to become theirs uh, and give that over to the Lord in that way. That being the case, I would say one other thing that might make this appealing is just that worry of people. Um, we're worried about them, we're anxious for their growth, and so that might allow us to get in there maybe as we should not and really seek to manipulate that in a way uh, that we shouldn't. And so why is manufacturing growth so appealing? Those would be some of the reasons. Secondly, this is a, the foundational truth that would blow all of this out of the water, and that's just to understand that God alone causes the growth. Uh, you can open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 5 through 9. Uh, and so this is what ought to be laid down that we have to understand that would keep us from going this direction. Paul, writing to the divided Corinthians, says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Just servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. And so you've got to have a correct understanding of yourself. I'm, I'm just a servant. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. That's a humbling 
statement right there. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God owns it all. The whole process is, is His. We can't claim any of it. Now, another verse that came to my mind was Psalm 127.1. Unless, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And I think that's one thing we have to consider too. We could do a whole lot of work around here. Um, and it could, at the end of the day, be all vanity, meaningless. Um, it, it's going to be burned up. It's got to be God uh, that's causing this growth, that's building things. And if we're getting in there seeking to manufacture growth, well, then that's not the case. Um, and those things are going to be built up. We've got the wrong motive. We've got the wrong playbook. We have to understanding we are nothing but faithful servants uh, to God. And so having a correct understanding of ourselves, he says man is just merely an instrument for the growth. Uh, so we might be the means that God uses, but that's it. Um, God is the one causing it. Meaningful, supernatural growth happens only if God does it. And that's another thing we have to understand. Yes, we could do some things, tweak some things that would turn down the lights in such a way uh, we could get some some fog stuff going on. I mean, so many of you have come to me every Sunday. Chance, we've got to have more fog, you know. Okay, we could do those kind of things. And maybe on an emotional level, more people are, are getting hyped up. But at the end of the day, the Lord's looking at it all, and He's seeing, hey, all you're doing is deceiving people. These people aren't actually giving their life to the Lord, or they're not actually where they think they are. And so we don't want any of that. Uh, we want people who are legitimately coming to Christ on God's timing. Um, and so we have to understand we want to, to work in such a way that it's very, very clear that God is the one that causes the growth. Um, three, when man tries to manufacture growth. Uh, so the subject of when man tries to manufacture growth. Open up your... Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which should be for you just one page over. 1 Corinthians 2, we'll start in verse 1 and read to verse 5. Paul says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of word or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the witness of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my word and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Basically, what Paul's trying to do is to take himself out of the equation. Um, he wants people to be very clear that at the end of the day, God gets the glory. Um, at the end of the day, it shouldn't be anything in myself that's manipulating the situation. It's not my personality. It's not my wisdom. I am just a servant giving this to you. This is where the power comes from. And people in our ministries have to have an understanding 
This isn't a personality-driven ministry. Um, it, it, it can't be a thing where if, if I go or you go, the whole thing falls apart because it's this. <laughs> and people have to have a clear understanding uh, that it is the Bible. And so Paul uh, believed that to such an extent that uh, he was careful to make sure that he wasn't in any way manipulating things. Now, whereas on the other side of it, the CEO model, the leadership, the manufacturing growth type model, uh, that's essentially what they're doing. Uh, people are going to tie themselves to a personality, to a way of doing things, uh, without tying themselves uh, to the Bible. And I would say even if we're not out to do that, we still have to be careful that, that people under us are not tying themselves to us in particular, uh, because it's not about us. We're not seeking to make disciples of us. It's disciples of Christ. Uh, secondly, maybe, maybe some of you have heard of this. I'm not exactly sure when he wrote the study, but I don't know what he means by the Jesus model of ministry. But context clues, I'm assuming this is something that was kind of going around whenever he wrote this. And it seems to be something that's more uh, a Jesus that you can kind of manufacture and of your own making. Uh, and so it's whatever you want him to be. Um, and I, I get this from his quote at the end. You can read it with me. He says, dealing in these types of vague generalities, he was never harsh, we're never harsh, he fed people, we feed people, you know, those kinds of things. He was loved and popular. People love us. We're popular. Um, Jesus draw, drew circles. You know, I draw circles, um, that kind of thing. Dealing in these types of vague generalities is not only in keeping with God's plan for the church, but also serves to feed a strong desire to have a comfortable existence where following Christ isn't costly in terms of reputation, economics, and personal influence. The world has little problem with the Jesus of the Jesus model. The offense of the gospel has been removed, and the church can convince itself that people are attracted to its Jesus when, in fact, the world is attracted to the human, humanitarian efforts and programs, not Jesus. And so the Jesus model sounds like a model of their own uh, making and not the actual uh, Jesus model. This would be a kind of excuse for doing ministry the way that you want and for making sure that people don't feel uncomfortable. And I, I think that's where we want to be careful of our definition of Jesus doesn't come just from one person or a man. Our definition of Jesus is always dependent upon the words of Jesus, the whole counsel of, of God. And so we can't be manipulated by words. Jesus' model sounds great. And of course, on one sense, if we can define it, I'm all on board with that. Um, but we have to make sure we're defining our terms. The other thing he says is a program-centered ministry. Um, and so I, I think with this, we just want to be careful of making sure that it's not our programs that are driving ministry here. It's, it's shepherding this driving ministry. And so that being the case, like for right here, right now, uh, lead is, it, I think, a good ministry for our church. It's great. Who knows? There may come a day when this isn't exactly what we need and it's got to flex a little bit. And we're not so tied to a program that we can't do that. As the needs of our church change, then we want to change 
with it in order to be faithful to God's Word. It's not to say that we follow everybody's wants and desires and do that, um, but if faithfulness means we start a new ministry, we do that. If faithfulness means this one goes out, we do that. Uh, we're not tied to the traditions that we've always done here. Uh, fourthly, functioning as a herald prevents us from manufacturing growth. Second um, Timothy 4, starting in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, herald it, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth, wander into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So, having an understanding of what the call is keeps us um, from going into this more CEO type model. Uh, a herald is essentially the idea of we're just an ambassador, we're just someone who's heralding something on behalf of the king. So this isn't my message. Now, that being the case, I have no right to, to change it in any way. Um, and so it's a correct understanding of, of who I am. Uh, what are the herald's priorities? Uh, just simply to deliver the king's message, which he has, in parentheses, the meaning. So that's very clear, too. So I, I can't just pick and choose from this what I want people to get. At the end of the day, I've got to be faithfully looking to see what does God mean by this. That's the message. It's not just the words, because the words can be manipulated. I need to know what's the meaning behind the words. And I have to have such a high-valued respect for God's Word that I would dare not change that. There's a, there's a certain fear uh, that comes into that that drives faithfulness with the message. Now, I need to personify the king's urgency. So there should be a, a passion uh, when we speak. And so it, it doesn't connect when you have someone who's up there um, giving the message as a herald, and it's dry, and it's boring. Uh, this is the most amazing book ever written that will ever be written. This is God's Word, and so there, there has to be some passion. Not to the extent that we're trying to manipulate, but that's just in keeping with what it is. Uh, and so you want to herald that in that way. Uh, to invoke the king's authority. Uh, this is one thing that they said to, to Jesus over and over again. You, you don't teach as the scribes and the Pharisees. You teach with authority. Um, and of course, we're not Jesus, but we are teaching His Word, and there is an authority, not from us inherently, but in God's Word that has to come across, thus saith the Lord. Uh, to explain the king's implications, uh, what are the implications of whatever truth it is that I'm proclaiming? And so you're just trying to bring it home uh, here, and so that's some of what we've been talking about this morning. If the implication is that God causes the growth, and that He gets all the credit and glory, well, then that means certain things for how I am to do ministry. And you try to explain all those. And so you've thought through those. You're bringing those to people. And to repeat the king's ultimatums, that's basically just to say, hey, there are some warnings behind this. 
What I'm going to give you is truth. You need to understand in not keeping this, there, there are some warnings, some implications to that, some ultimatums. Now, if you don't act in a certain way, uh, there is a certain amount of, of judgment that comes to that, consequence that comes to that, uh, that's inherent in God's Word. Um, a herald could not and would not alter the message based on response. Uh, and this is key, because you may come to a situation, whether it's teaching, counseling, and you're banging your head against the wall, they're not getting it, or actually the opposite of that, uh, they're, they're throwing stones at you, and the temptation right there may be to change, you know, to alter. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take some time when that happens to really self-reflect, because there could be some, something that you're not doing right, and you certainly want to take the log out of your own eye, but you can never change the actual message. You might need to change, this is true, but the message can't change. And that basis can't change. And so a herald would never do that uh, because of what he's been called to do. Um, last, we'll lose last quick, uh, last two pretty quick here. Understanding biblical leadership prevents us from manufacturing growth. Uh, and so I think if you're going to the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, uh, 1 Peter 5, and you have an understanding of the qualifications of ministry, uh, the kind of ministry we're talking about, it's not CEO, this is a shepherd, uh, well, then that's going to keep you from looking for those more leadership-type models or, or personality-driven-type models. We're looking for people who are qualified, and we're seeking to equip people in this way of doing ministry and not, hey, read this leadership book, this leadership book, um, those kinds of things. So that'll keep us from that. And then six. How and what we pray is indicative of our view of spiritual growth and ministry. Um, and so, yeah, if we're constantly praying for numerical growth, program success, um, it reveals a wrong concern. Praying for godly convictions to be developed leading to transformation is, is what we're after. And we want real change hearts and minds. Uh, we want sin exposed. We want true conviction uh, we're praying the kind of prayers that only God could, could answer. Uh, and I think there's an understanding, too, could take a while. Um, and so we're just faithful farmers who are doing the work. And back in the old day, they had to wait for the rain. And that's what we do as well. Let me pray for us, then we've got some questions. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this morning. Uh, Lord, as we've looked at this temptation uh, to manufacture growth, which could be a temptation whether we're talking about church or our own families, relationships, uh, Lord, help us you know, to have such an understanding of your glory, of the greatness of your word, of ourselves as just servants, uh, that, Lord, it would keep us from ever going in this kind of direction. So, Lord, tie us to your word. And, and Father, I pray even within this group that there would be such an accountability uh, that if ever we start going off in this way, we would smell it, we would sense it, and, and Father, we would correct in love. Uh, so Lord, help us as we go to our tables now. Encourage us, and Lord, as we go off into our day with the conversation we're about to have. Pray this in your name. Amen.